and welcome to the latest episode of Jumpcast, the podcast from the award-winning team behind Jumpcut Online. My name is Sarah Buddery and I am your host for today and I am joined once again by Barry Levitt. Today we are talking about 2013's Frozen, the 53rd? Yeah, correct. <laughs> I was really doubting myself there as I was going for the run-up. I was like, 52, 53, it's one of those. Um... 53rd yep. Walt Disney <laughs> film. Um, this is a big one, and I already know that we have tons to say, so we are get, we're going to get right on into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got as much time as possible to talk about everything there is in this film, because boy, is there a lot. Um, so our plot synopsis for Frozen from IMDb is... When the newly crowned Queen Elsa accidentally uses her power to turn things into ice to curse her home in infinite winter, her sister Anna te- teams up with a mountain man, his playful reindeer, and a snowman to change the weather condition. That's that a is, really crap synopsis. That is, uh, that is very specific and very long. Also, like, I love yeah. how, can you imagine, like, um, marketing this film is like, <laughs> they needed to change the weather condition. Yeah. <laughs> reading it i was like hopefully this synopsis sticks the landing but it did not um they really they really missed out not calling it the weather condition (laughs) absolutely they did um okay we will have some better things to say about this film i'm sure than that uh than that terrible synopsis so um over to you barry right okay so when talking Frozen, it's worth noting, and, and this is going to be the crux of this, is that this film has been in development at Disney since 1937. And that doesn't mean they've been working on it for like 75 years straight, um, but it does mean the idea to make a film based on Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen, which this film is, um, was originally considered as a follow-up to Snow White. Uh, which was, of course, it made in was released in 1937. Uh, and the original story is about a small girl named Gerda, uh, who tries to save her friend Kay, who is captured by the Snow Queen, who pierces Kay's heart with a shard of evil glass. Um, the original story by Anderson had talking animals, talking plants, witches, princesses, and princes. I mean, the purest Disney fodder, if there ever was. Um, really kind of just all ready for the taking. Um, however, they found that since the story was from the 1840s, uh, Disney was really struggling to find a way to adapt the Snow Queen, specifically the Snow Queen herself, uh, for modern audiences. Um, and they were kind of working on the at the time on like a live-action animated hybrid all about Hans Christian Andersen. Um, but when the war effort came in and, you know, they were busy making their war propaganda stuff as well as the package films, uh, they didn't have the opportunity to really put any resources towards it anymore. Uh, and they were making it with Sam, they were going to make it with, um, with Samuel Goldwyn. But in 1952, uh, Samuel Goldwyn went his own way and released the musical Hans, Trist- Hans Christian Andersen, uh, starring Danny Kaye, which was a huge success, had like six Oscar noms. Um, and resulted in Disney kind of shelving all of their own Anderson projects, which also included The Little Mermaid. Um, and the project was revived many, many decades later um, during the Renaissance. And our love, Glenn Keane, was going to kind of take the um, the project on his own way. But having a look at it, he, he couldn't really figure it out either and decided to put his efforts into Tangled instead. Um, and the concept art for that went back into the vault and was seen by hardly anybody. 
However, Sarah, someone that did see it was John Lasseter. Uh, and when he took over in 2006, he had a look and then assigned some of the animators to take another look, yet another, yet another look at the Snow Queen <laughs> and see if there was anything they could do with it. Uh, and Lasseter brought back Chris Buck, uh, who directed Tarzan. He was at um, Sony Animation, where he directed Surf's Up. Um, and he was brought back in to kind of work on work on Disney projects again. And, and Chris Buck was especially um, interested in working on the long gestating Snow Queen. Uh, and he really wanted to focus on a story that would kind of challenge the definition of, of tr- true love and what true love is. And, you know, we'd, he had always seen it through Disney, through the, the kiss um, with a prince and princess. And he wanted to challenge that and, and, and take the idea of true love in a new direction. Um, and then the, the film became known as Anna and the Snow Queen. Uh, one of the first decisions was to change the name Gerda. Sorry, Gerda. Um, but you are now Anna. Um, so it became Anna and the Snow Queen, and it was going to be traditionally animated, um, hand-drawn. But by early 2010, it returned to development hell, where it had spent really the last six decades. So it was used to it, I guess, by that point. <laughs> um, and after the success of Tangled, however, um, the Snow Queen was officially given the green light. Uh, and the film would be made in CG instead of animation. Um, and I'm going to read you a bit of uh, the wonderful they drew as they pleased when they kind of talk about some of the changes that it went through. Frozen went through many story shifts and changes. Within the various early story iterations, there was always an Anna and Kristoff romantic relationship, but the Snow Queen was not Anna's sister, nor were they related. She was a flashy, flamboyant, Cruella de Vil, triggering, given recent events, um, <laughs> Cruella de Vil type villain, they were, think- they were thinking of casting Bette Midler to voice her. Uh, but John Lasseter read the script and said, you can make this film and it will be fine, but it wouldn't resonate deeply with audiences. I want you to dig deeper and I want you to find a storyline that resonates. Well, in terms of finding something that resonated, really where it happened was kind of removing the Snow Queen altogether. Well, not so much removing her, but turning her from a villain um, into almost a victim. Um, who would, of course, be Elsa, um, and turning Elsa into Anna's sister, uh, which kind of proved to be the key of finding what would work about Frozen. Um, and it would just be the second of 53 Disney films to have a sister, or even a sister element, really. I mean, you have, um, there's, you know, Little Mermaid where she has sisters, but they don't really speak to each other. Alice has an older sister, but I don't think they, I mean, she says like two lines. Um, There's some sisters hinted at here and there, but the only other one that has a real sister relationship is Lilo and Stitch. Um, But this would be the first film that was really kind of all about sisterhood, which is kind of an insane thought to think that it took over almost like 80 years of of filmmaking to realize that maybe they should make a film about sisters. But they got there eventually. Um, And Jennifer Lee who had worked on the screenplay for Wreck-It Ralph, was brought in to write the screenplay for Frozen in March 2012. Uh, And she would also eventually become co-director. And in fact, now um, she took over for John Lasseter in 2018 and is the chief uh, creative officer at Disney and is a pretty big deal. Well, I mean, as big a deal as you can get uh, in Disney animation. Um, But before she was brought on to work at the screenplay, the previous script and all the previous songs... um, had imploded and they were done away with yet again for the nine millionth time. Um, so Lee and Buck had to start over really with 17 months before release. Uh, and again, we talk about how these films normally take a number of years, but they had less than two, less than a year and a half uh, to basically write it and put it all together. 
uh, leaving them with a very intense schedule and a lot of choices that would have to be made pretty much on the spot. Um, and there's a lot of different kind of story things that they had to go through deciding, but I think when we get into the, the depths of, of the story, I, I'll, I'll try and bring some of the decisions that they struggled with when we get there, because otherwise I would be talking for like an hour before we even got to discussion <laughs> so partly. Um, and I'll, we'll do the same with music, because there's music is such a big part of this that we'll talk about the songs and stuff uh, probably right after this, because, I mean, we probably can't wait. Um, but like Tangled... Uh, Frozen employed a style that would blend together kind of CGI and traditional hand-drawn animation, uh, and Michael Giamo would develop the film's style, which drew from the Disney films of the 50s, uh, Disney's Little Golden Books, and mid-century modern design. Uh, and Giamo was brought back to Disney to serve as art director, and it was the first time he had been art director at Disney since Pocahontas. Um, so bringing back uh, kind of people who had made a real impact in the Renaissance and uh, bringing them back into the age of CG when obviously with an art director you can still kind of draw everything by hand because you're you're creating the concepts and, and the inspiration uh, that would serve the film. Um, so there were three research trips for Frozen. Mostly we just get one, but with Frozen it's so big that they get three. Um, so the first was to Wyoming where they would... Um, for the purpose of walking and moving around in really deep snow in various attire, and both the male crew and the female crew would try on all sorts of outfits, female and male outfits, to try and figure out how they could realistically draw these characters moving in the snow. Uh, the second was to Quebec City in Quebec in Canada, obviously. Hopefully you know that. <laughs> um, to the Ice Hotel there um, to see how light reflects and refracts, refracts sorry, off snow and ice. And the third, of course, was to Norway, which kind of was the biggest inspiration for this film, uh, where they looked at fjords, mountains, architecture, and culture to really kind of make it feel as believable as possible. And again, with the time restraints, it meant that the focus wasn't really on creating a realistic um, Norway recreation or a realistic world necessarily, but certainly the focus was on creating a believable one. Uh, and the estimated crew size on Frozen, think about when we talked about Jungle Book and how it literally had a handful of animators making more than like half the movie. Well, Frozen had a crew of about 600 to 650 people, <laughs> uh, including around 70 lighting people, 70 plus animators, and about 15 to 20 storyboard artists. Uh, and this one exciting thing about Frozen, well, one of many, is that it actually brought back um, a more traditional organization when it came to animating. Uh, and character leads and indeed supervising animators made their return um, on specific characters for Frozen, um, which then they did this because they wanted one person for each character to really kind of fully understand and develop who they are and then kind of impart that onto the crew that would work on those characters. Um, and as you can see from watching Frozen, it is quite technically astute to say the least. It is really, it, it's, there's a lot of incredible achievement and a lot of that comes from the, the FX crew. Uh, and they created a snowflake generator that allowed them to randomly create 2000 unique snowflake shapes. Um, they used very advanced, uh, we talked about, I don't even remember what I said for Tangled, but like some sort of advanced geometric something rather <laughs> to do the hair or, or underwater stuff. Um, but here they used very advanced physics and very advanced mathematics uh, to create a program called Matterhorn, uh, which was an application that could depict realistic snow uh, in a virtual environment and was used in no less than 43 different scenes. 
they also created other tools. One was called Spaces, um, which allowed the body parts of Olaf to kind of move around and be rebuilt throughout the film. Uh, and they also developed something called Tonic, which was used for the hair, uh, including Elsa's, which contained 420,000 CGI strands of hair, uh, which is quite the number, especially when you realize the average human only has 100,000 strands of hair on their head. So Elsa has four times the hair of the average person. Um, <laughs> and easily, you can probably guess from those numbers that this is the most intensive CG film that they have ever made. However, it was going to pay off, Sarah. It really, really was, because Frozen, when it was finally released on November 27th, 2013, keeping in that 17-month uh, timeline, they did it. It didn't have to be delayed. Uh, it blew away any and all expectations. They were expecting another film to the same degree of success as Tangled. Um, but this made pretty much more than double what Tangled did, earning an unbelievable one28 billion, that is billion with a B, uh, dollars worldwide. It was the 18th film in history to do so. Um, and without inflation, it is the highest grossing animated film of all time. Um, technically, it's been beaten by The Lion King, the horrible live action remake, which is really sad. But considering Disney considers it live action um, and not animated, even though it's animated, we can talk about this all day, but we're not going to. Um, that is technically, <laughs> if you look up like the list, it's number one, but... I, I, it doesn't count. It's not even real in my eyes, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> and what, what Frozen really did, besides just being a very successful film, is change the merchandising game more than they could have ever dreamed. And again, they were expressing, ex uh, except, expecting sorry, the same kind of success that they had with Tangled. Um, but it was so much more than that and so much more popular. And it was almost constantly sold out and really, really difficult to get a hold of. And that was not because they wanted to build up the hype or anything. It's just because they genuinely did not expect uh, the level of demand to be what it was, uh, particularly when it came to Elsa stuff. You could kind of always maybe find some Anna merchandise, uh, but Elsa, good luck. And even honestly, even to this day, it's still not like, it, there's always like a separate Frozen section of the Disney store, but it's it's always a little bit emptier than the others. It's just, it's mm. just unbelievably popular. People will not stop buying those dresses. Um, <laughs> and it proved so popular that Anna and Elsa would not become part of the Disney princesses franchise and would in fact just kind of have their own Frozen franchise. So if you, again, if you go to um, a Disney store or any kind of Disney merchandise place, you'll see that all the princesses stuff is together and then Anna and Elsa will be in their own little Frozen world because they're just too popular to be to be brought in <laughs> with all those other lowly princesses. Um, and it won two Oscars, one for Best Song for obviously, to the surprise of no one, for Let It Go, um, and Best Animated Film, which made uh, Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee Oscar winners, and that made Jennifer Lee the very first woman to, and um, I believe to date the only, um, woman to win for the Best Animated Oscar. So uh, a pretty successful go at it. They've kind of been fighting behind other animation studios for some time. And obviously just a couple years before, Toy Story 3 made over a billion dollars. But this made even more than Toy Story. And was kind of the moment that Disney started to really uh, take back the throne, if you will. Mm. I mean, even just hearing those figures, it's like, I know Frozen was successful. I know it's this... Not even just successful in film terms. It's like a genuine phenomenon. Is is yeah. Frozen? You you see it everywhere. The songs were everywhere. 
Um, and I uh, would like to say that I, I think I contributed quite significantly to the box office takings because I saw this film at the cinema seven times. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I only went um, once, like which... some amateur. Yeah, which is the most that I... Not the most I've seen a film, actually. I think I beat my record a few years later, but certainly the most times I've seen a Disney film at the at the cinema, it was getting to the point where I was just like, I could recite the film start to finish the various times that Yeah, it was, just, it was just a um, reflex at that point, going to the cinema to see. Like, you just found yourself sitting yeah. there and watching Frozen. <laughs> yeah, it was very much like that. Sometimes I treat myself to a sing-along screening just for something a bit different, you know? Um, but yeah, for for a couple of months, it was like what I did every Saturday was was go and see Frozen, which Amazing. is really insane. Um, but I, well, certainly at the time was very, very high on this film. Um, had it pretty high in my rankings when we started out this thing. Um, but as last week's discussion proved, you can like a film and then in talking about it, it... Um, it has the tendency to slip. Um, I still do very much love this film. Um, I'm not as high on it as I, I was previously and it has dropped down in my rankings, but um, there's so much, so much good stuff in this. And I think that, as you hinted at, the the natural place to start with Frozen is the songs because the songs are all caps back in quite a significant way. That's not to say we've not had good songs recently but Wreck-It Ralph obviously was little to no songs apart from the sort of pop song in the end credits uh, a needle drop of Rihanna and the theme song to Sugar Rush so we've not had uh, much songs content really since um, since Tangled and uh, Princess and the Frog which wasn't that long ago Wow the Winnie the Pooh erasure the Winnie (laughs) the Pooh erasure not here not here not ever um, and in fact, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is the perfect segue because uh, the songwriting team of Robert Lopez and Christian yes. Anderson Lopez uh, wrote the songs for Winnie the Pooh. You can try to forget them, Sarah, but I never will. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I apologize to you. I apologize to my family, uh, to Winnie, Piglet, Tigger, all the gang. I'm very sorry. It's because it's not on my shelf. So that is it's, my excuse. That, and honestly, that is Disney's problem, <laughs> not yours. That's You did not do exactly. that. You would love to have it. It's literally not possible. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of songs in this. Um, mm-hmm. Going from like a film that had none uh, to, a song, uh, to a film that has what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, if you include the reprise. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of songs. Um, I believe it's 23 minutes of the film, which is roughly a, just about a quarter. Um, yeah maybe 20% of the movie. Um, mm. It's quite a, um, it's very, mu- it's very music heavy, especially the first uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of does the thing that a lot of musicals do where it like starts with so many songs and then ha- like sprinkles yeah. a few more in the rest of the movie. Um, I'm always kind of surprised at how early Let It Go comes. I always expected to come like around like the halfway point or like towards the end, but mm-hmm. it is, it is fairly early. Um, the, the saddest part about it is that the worst song is the very last one. Um, <laughs> and and basically the first and the first and last songs are the least interesting um but then everything that comes in between is pretty tremendous mm-hmm. yeah frozen heart is the is the opening song and it's the one that i always 
forget about and hate to say but one of the ones i always skip as well in the soundtrack because like i know do you want to build a snowman is next and i would much rather listen to that you you um, you only it's... have so much time in your life and why waste it listening to frozen heart when you can listen to the to be <laughs> do you want to be a snowman again i totally agree um one thing that really annoys yeah. me about frozen yeah. heart is that one of the lyrics in frozen heart that they say quite a few times is let it go um and which makes no actual sense mm. in the actual song because the song is all about them like taking ice out and like putting it on a thing and at no point do they let it go. Um, but they do everything else that they say in the song. <laughs> They're like basically instructions of like how to do their job. Um, and they keep saying let it go and I'm like, okay, like I get it. The song, obviously the first time you watch it is not something you notice, but when you watch it for the 95th time, you're like, okay, like this song clearly says mm. let it go a few times for the sole purpose of interest. So you, like kids who are watching it later can be like, oh my gosh, that's the song I like. Um, and that's pretty much all <laughs> that song does. Um, yeah. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite? Oh, it's, so hard to choose this is me every time there's like loads of songs in a film but i feel like the very very obvious answer is let it go but it is an absolute banger there is no denying how good that song is how powerful that song is but i also really enjoy for the first time in forever and specifically the reprise of that um i think it does a really it does a really interesting thing of sort of um, flipping what that song is about when it sort of first appears and it's quite um, positive and optimistic as Anna is sort of looking forward to the doors being opened and the promise of a new life and, and everything else that comes with it. And then when it's brought back, brought back in the reprise, it's this sort of really... Uh, dramatic moment between Anna and Elsa as she's trying to get her to to come back and I just think it's very effectively used I've not really seen a reprise used like that in a Disney film before and I I particularly like the vocal um from Adina Menzel in the reprise I think it's really really good um I mean all of the songs in this are, are so good like Love is an Open Door as a duet is just wonderful do you want to build a snowman does such a good job of introducing these characters mm-hmm. and showing like a huge passage of time in a way that doesn't feel like a slapped on uh traveling montage like we get in brother bear like this yeah. is a far cry away <laughs> from that it, yeah. it is a montage song we see these characters grow up um and i think it's three different uh singers that we get in that play in honor at various ages as well but it's it's so beautifully done and it's beautifully animated and it's a very funny sequence as well. Oh, I just, I honestly, I love them all. I've listened to this soundtrack so many times. I was listening to it today in preparation for this episode as well. I really struggle to pick a favorite. Um, so my answer is all of them apart from frozen heart and fixer upper, I guess, but probably let it go if I have to choose. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think, I think it's, I think it's Let It Go. I mean, I think Let It Go is probably the best song of the 2010s for Disney, easily. I agree. Um, and mm. probably, at the very least, top 10 all time. I mean, it's it's just, mm. there's a reason it's become such an anthem and, like, the nightmare of 
every parent in the world um, <laughs> because their kids have not stopped listening it honestly to this day it's not like a, it's not something that went away let it go has gone nowhere mm. um it is still yeah, a very exactly. popular song it's still the song like when those first notes come in you know exactly what's coming you probably know every word whether you've seen especially if you're a parent even if you've only seen like even if you only have the film on in like the background while your kids watch it and mm. you're doing something else you know every syllable every beat of let it go i mean let it go is I, I, I don't even know. I imagine it has well over a couple billion views on YouTube. I haven't looked, but I, I can only imagine. Um, it was, you know, it's a, yeah. it's massive. And it's, it's funny because they did, well, basically when, um, not for Let It Go specifically, but you're talking about the um, the reprise of For the First Time in Forever and For the First Time in Forever generally, and hearing the two of them harmonize, um, Indina Mandel and Kristen Bell, mm-hmm. basically when mm-hmm. John Lasseter heard that when Jake joined the auditions, he's like, it's over, it's them everyone was kind of like when he heard them when people heard them like sing together they were like well we're done we we found exactly <laughs> we found exactly who we're who we're looking for because they are extraordinary and they sing so they're both so amazing but their voices together is the like the, the, the stuff that dreams are made of like you really can't mm. it's kind of just like serendipitous to find two people who who work so beautifully together like you and i um yeah. it's just if, if if either of us could sing i would imagine we would sound something like that <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh when this pandemic is over i think that we should go to karaoke and just do like a, a series of frozen duets like love is an open door uh we can do for the first time in... actually i think i have sung a frozen song at karaoke with our with that. our good friend jake at some point <laughs> in the past it, it seems like the sort of thing we would have done he was with me for most of my seven watches at the cinema so it feels right <laughs> yeah it's um let, let it go is is the moment um do you but mm-hmm. like like all the other ones are even in summer um who is from a character i don't particularly care for um is really delightful and fun um reindeers mm-hmm. are better than people mm-hmm. is like 30 seconds but it's it's sweet and it, and it gives you that it, it tells you a little bit about who Kristoff and sven are um the there's only one i think genuinely bad song um and that would be fixer upper um Mm -hmm. which i mean should we talk do you want to talk more i mean we'll we'll keep talking about the songs i would imagine Mm. um as we kind of go um when we talk about some other characters but i think the problem with fixer upper is also frozen's biggest problem as a whole which i think makes a lot more sense when you realize how rushed this film was um for example um the nine-year-old um anna in the do you want to build a snowman is voiced by jennifer lee's daughter and i don't i don't know if that's because she she wanted to play it or she wanted to play Mm -hmm. it or they literally could not did not have time to find a nine-year-old so she was like i have one um she does a great (laughs) job by the way she's she's lovely um and everyone all the every voice in this film is is wonderful and we get we get alan tudyk again um who again we will see in every film from now on um he you know it's just there are it's so rushed that there are some real um pacing issues and there's some real plot issues uh that come into play and that's especially kind of the moment we get to these trolls these trolls man mm. I... <laughs> so first of all I... basically, basically every song <laughs> is sung by either Anna or Elsa there's there's mm-hmm. Rangers are better than people which is Kristoff um but that's like less than a minute and then there's Olaf that gets in summer for some reason, they were like, let's give these trolls who we see for a few seconds at the beginning, the grandfather troll has terrible, terrible, terrible advice um, about a heart and a brain. And like that really does not make sense. And it's probably the opposite of what he said, if anything. Um, but then they come back for him like to get help for Anna. Um, but then there's a song about how like Anna and Kristoff should get married. 
um, or about how they're about to get married and how like he's kind of gross, but like he, you can just fix him up, which is already a troubling concept um, that you can just like <laughs> fix your partner um, or that your partner needs fixing at all. Um, but the the fact that like the idea that like a, a woman can change a man is is troubling and has been around for far too long, um, or mm. that she, or that she should change a man, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate this song. Um, it's 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 cute enough, like it isn't badly written or anything. Mm. But in the context of this movie, it kind of feels like um, a guy like you from Hunchback of Notre Dame with those cursed gargoyles, um, singing a song that really mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Just like in Summer, but in Summer is short and sweet, um, and it's funny, um, and, mm. and at least like it, it yeah. does kind of relate to things that happen to Olaf later, um. But Fixer Upper mm-hmm. is just, it's just a waste of time. It's its fundamentally has mm-hmm. nothing to do with anything. We already understand the dynamic of their relationship. And, and we can already see from the other 52 Disney films we watch, or even just from going outside into the world and seeing anything, that like a, ro- a romantic relationship is, is slowly but surely developing between the two of them. I, I don't think you mm-hmm. need this. In fact, I know. You know I'm, I'm confident. You do not need this song to express that. Um... And, yeah. and, and it really just feels like like padding the time to try and get to like ninety minutes or whatever. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree with you. And honestly, what's so irritating is I think that this song and the additional fifteen minutes that it adds onto the film is the reason why I can't give it five stars. And I, I used to give this film five stars, um, but I've, I've, I've never liked this song. And again, it is always the one I skip on the soundtrack just because I don't really enjoy listening to it and i prefer listening to the others but also that within the film itself it it really takes the wind out of the sails and i'm so glad you brought up hunchback because that was exactly the the thing that i i wrote down in my notes as well is that that moment where things sort of really feel like they're building to a climax and then there's this unnecessary song that doesn't really add anything to it and just feels like it's kind of a shoehorned in moment to give these characters something to do but I don't I don't need it and the the time that it adds on to the film as well. I think up to that point this film is really well paced. I you know the the plot is actually quite it's quite slight really when you when you sort of think about it but the what has just happened is Anna has confronted Elsa and it has ended up with her being accidentally struck by Elsa's powers again um and this time it's hit her heart uh, so that obviously means that she is sort of starting to her hair is turning white. She's starting to sort of like freeze. get it because there was a song um, called Frozen Heart. So you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're we're real smart. Um, and obviously, like the the trolls are in the beginning. So, and Kristoff was there. So I guess their path to get to the trolls makes sense. But also, I could really just do without it. I it adds on so much extra because at that point where they like get off the or they like fall off the mountain into the snow her hair is turning white and they realize obviously like they need to do something she needs she needs help or whatever I'm just like oh this is when they go back to Arendelle and then like the end of the film is coming and then suddenly these trolls are coming into it again and like I'm actually fine with the trolls being in it at that point because I think it's the grandpappy troll that is like uh, an act of true love or Thor a frozen heart or whatever so that is useful information however what is not useful information is this freaking song that they decide to sing which adds nothing to the film for me 
at all. It takes away so much of it that that could be like a five minute scene where they have to go via the trolls to then like go back to Arendelle now knowing what they need to do. I I'm picking up all the signals without that without yeah. that song's inclusion that there is something possibly between Anna and Kristoff. It's very clear. We have eyes, we can see it. I don't then need this unnecessary song with these trolls being like, it's okay, this guy is like not that great, but you can fix him up. It's so, You're so right. It's such a troubling idea trope that is so overdone in films, this idea of like, it doesn't matter how kind of like rubbishy this person is, you can always like fix him up. All he, all he needs is a good woman to sort of sort him out. And it's like, no, it's it's stupid and it's dumb. And I, I don't... I don't feel like it has a place in this in this film, which no. is otherwise mm-hmm. so good. And the sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'll stop ranting in a minute. The romantic stuff between Anna and Kristoff is developed sufficiently in Frozen Two that I almost feel like it doesn't need to be in this film. The sort of the 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 love between Anna and Elsa is the thing that I think is so strong about this film and makes it so different to other disney films because we've not really seen that and it's very subversive in terms of it's what it does with the idea of true love so by all means pop in those hints and suggestions about anna and Kristoff having something in the future but i don't need it sort of like spelled out to me in this unnecessary song and dance number i could take the whole thing out and be much happier (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like how we've like skated all over the really great songs. We're like, let's spend four hours telling you why fixing <laughs> fixer up or stuff. But it's true because that that trope has yeah. come from like, you know, like the the man might obviously Kristoff isn't an alcoholic, but a lot of the times in like the past, there'd be stories of like, um, either the male or female, but usually the man is like a, a like abusive or alcoholic or like has some sort of yeah. real thing that means you should not be with him. Um, but you know, it's it's this idea that like the the woman can save him through like working in the kitchen or other outdated, antiquated nonsense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, fi- fixer up is sucks. And if you just, I I totally agree that if you just don't have that and you just go straight back to the kingdom, someone else can guess that it's true love. You can in fact play on it and kind of satirize it by saying like maybe true, like one of them can be like maybe true love is is the thing, and then be like, all right, let's go find mm-hmm. Hans. Uh, then you get the thing that you know that he's not the answer, um, and then when you see that um, Elsa saves her in the end, you can be like, "Oh, it was the true love between the sisters." But you don't even need to mention true love. You can you can have her save her, um, and then someone can be someone can just random if they want, someone can just randomly declare, or they can say to each other like something about how they've always loved each other. You know, you don't need to mm-hmm. say like explicitly mm-hmm. true love has has is actually between the sisters, not between a prince and princess, to be revolutionary and change it you can just mm. be a little more subtle with it if you wanted to uh would also shave off 15 minutes parents would probably be grateful considering they've now probably watched it three to four thousand times um and <laughs> i think the the film runs a lot better i think kind of from the moment elsa strikes her um sis oh, sorry yeah elsa strikes her sister and freezes her heart to the end mm. is a bit eh. um it, it definitely has its moments and it looks unbelievable uh this film is especially considering the fact it was rushed um looks tremendous the 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 vfx like stuff with the with the snow with the ice Mm -hmm. snowflakes uh the the i mean the ice castle the environments are tremendous um you can tell i mean obviously some of the some of the crowd work is it's amazing to see how far it has come uh it looks good Mm -hmm. it doesn't look Mm -hmm. bad it just the characters obviously don't aren't as 
defined and, and detailed mm-hmm. as our main characters, which is which is fine. I mean, it's it already costs like 160 million dollars. It would cost way too much if if you made everyone as detailed mm-hmm. and as developed as the main characters. It's just not a a thing that makes any financial sense. I don't think when making animation, and it's not like anyone looks terrifying in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they just don't have the same. <laughs> it's no <level>. hunchback. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's amazing to see, because the, the Hunchback crowd was revolutionary and was a technological yeah. marvel. It just, when you look at it now, it's like, oh, well, that's that's upsetting. But I don't think <laughs> this would have the same effect in, like, 10, 15 years. Although, perhaps mm. CGI will have evolved so far that Frozen will look really dated. Who who could say? Um, mm. Because I don't think they would have thought that, like, something like Meet the Robinsons would look dated now when that came out. That was, you know, who could say? But... This film is breathtaking, and I think mm. it lets a lot of visual um, beauty pull the story ahead and pull the film through rather than kind of making a story that's a little more coherent and a little more involved. Because when it gets down to it, this is a really... There's not a whole lot going on. Um, she freezes the kingdom, and Elsa freezes the kingdom. Anna goes to help... Anna goes to Elsa to get her to reverse it. And she can't, mm-hmm. and eventually she does. That's 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 yeah. basically the <laughs> the whole thing of of Frozen. Um, but before we talk about animation, I guess before we before we I guess pick up what is especially beautiful to us, I just want to say that this whole film, um, like the whole problem of this film, could have been avoided if they did not have the worst parents in the world. Um, we have <laughs> regularly talked about the true villains <laughs> of these pieces. Um, I think our strongest one is Mrs. Potts uh, from Beauty and the Beast. Although I think there are plenty of gems, including the um, the woman in the Aristocats. Um, but I, I don't I don't think there is any question that the real villains of this of Frozen are Anna and Elsa's horrible, horrible, horrible parents. Um, yeah, dreadful. I mean, they're punished very early on for being terrible. Um, Good. Because, because, they are, <laughs> because they are killed off. And honestly, that's probably the best thing for the, the safety and health of these children. Um, because it, it, they don't really mention their parents again. They do. There's a lot more of it in the second one. Um, but in this film, I don't actually think they're like, I miss my mom and dad. Like, for example, one of the other films that has like a dramatic parent death would be The Lion King. And there's a very... Mm it's very clear that they had a beautiful relationship and it's very clear that Simba misses him greatly. And in fact, there's a very key scene towards the end where he kind of re um, Mufasa appears in the sky and, and they speak again. This does not have that. They're not like, I miss my parents. They, they, they have moved on fully and completely without <laughs> these two. It's wild. The second one is, I think the second one backpedals on it because there's a whole like does, link with, yeah. with the mother, especially. Um, but yeah, this as far as this film, if you if the sequel didn't exist, as far as it's concerned, these kids do not miss their parents. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I d- like, they don't even mention them. You're no, right. No, they it, don't even come up in. No one mentions them. No one in. No, no one in. So the, no one in the streets. They're like it's crazy. <laughs> but they um. Yeah. They're never there, and they the because the, the whole sorry I just I I just want to finish this thought the whole issue with Elsa is that she has magic powers and no one seems to know where they've come from. And that's fine. Um, and her and uh, her and Anna play and, you know, Anna's fully aware of her powers. Um, but one day Elsa kind of slips on the ice and doesn't put up a snow bank for Anna to fall in. So she gets hurt. And like, she accidentally hits Anna with this, with the ice instead of the, the ground. Um, so she gets hurt. 
and you know then her parents then her parents appear so the whole problem is that these kids are up making a quite a lot of noise in a castle filled with staff apparently because mm. there's a thing that after they heal Anna um the one of the big things that they do is like remove most of the staff from the castle so there are loads apparently at this time and these kids are able to just i don't believe that there's any castle on earth that is fully functioning where where two princesses can just run around and cause absolute havoc without anyone seeing mm. them so these parents <laughs> suck they do not watch over these children they don't instruct the guards to watch over these children like these these kids were bound to get into trouble at some point also kids like kids hurt each other not on purpose sometimes on purpose but like my brother and i would rough my brother and i like broke my arm it was my fault because i like made him push me but you know whatever um i was like (laughs) fight me fight me and he's like i don't want to and then he did and he broke my arm um but that was me but like kids do that like it's not like he intended Mm -hmm. to break my arm but like my parents then as a result of me having my arm well it was fractured whatever but as a result of me having my arm fracture did not like lock up my brother and like no longer speak of anything ever Mm -hmm. again which is basically what these two do mm-hmm. like they they close the gates instead of like helping elsa process what's happening to her they just basically leave her be and we're like never mention it again control all your feelings don't ever share your emotions um control yourself be stressed and anxious out of your mind for the rest of your life so no one ever sees what you are inherently born with that cannot be changed it is truly the worst parenting <laughs> I, I really don't have a I can I can talk about this all day. They are grotesque. Yeah, it's it, it's genuinely really quite troubling when yes. you get into it too much. And you could say we're reading too much into it, but that is what we do on this no. podcast. We are deep diving into these films. Yeah, if you're complaining um, we're going too in depth, why are you here? What what you doing? <laughs> this is what we do. But this this whole idea of like the even just their way of dealing with the thing that happens. Obviously, I, okay, I get it. They have to, they have to get Anna help so that nothing more serious happens to her. I don't know what the the consequences of. Well, I guess she just would be frozen and you know never wake up, sort of thing. So they have to take her to the trolls and the whole. You know, the magic is, um, the magic is removed, but they keep the they keep the fun. So Anna basically has her memory wiped as well, and now has no recollection that Anna that Elsa sorry has powers. That in itself pretty troubling um and but the way they treat elsa as well is just like it's it's actually i mean it's abusive (laughs) it's it's like they and and they make it look like they're sort of doing it as like an act of love they're doing to protect her and whatever but like rather than working with her and helping her and finding a way of managing and controlling her powers or whatever they their solution is basically like lock her away um pretend it isn't happening and this is something i mean to to take things down like a dark turn like in sort of not so much now but a, a long time ago when a kid maybe had um learning difficulties or autism or something like that and people didn't really know how to handle it and parents weren't sort of given the tools that they needed to actually help the kid flourish and and live a perfectly you know quote normal life they would be sort of you know shunned or or told to sort of like hide it away or you know a very long time ago kids who had um issues such as like such as that sorry were locked away and it's just like (laughs) this is a really troubling thing to see in a film and, and we joke about it that these parents are like the true villains of the piece but really it's not it's they are to blame 
for what then ends up happening because Elsa is like locked away in a room basically not allowed to see her sister not allowed to explore her powers in a way that is sort of healthy, healthy or, yeah. or looked after or anything like that um because they're, i mean they're pretty they're pretty sick powers to be honest i would like to be able to turn things to ice it's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> she literally no runs over a fjord because she turns it off to yeah. ice. that is so cool yeah imagine like supportive parents who are willing to sort of work with her and find out ways that she could use her power she literally creates life with her hands like she makes olaf a, a sentient being mm -hmm. come to life like this is this is a very cool power to have like i mean the solution there's, there's is your military you don't even room. exactly you don't even need to have a military budget because you can just create mm -hmm. those like giant snowman things that she that she creates like she she <laughs> could make this kind of like um the the um i can't remember what it's what the the world of in Black Panther is called? Their their like nation, but like Wakanda. they use Wakanda. There you go. Sorry, they use their like not that they have powers, but they use the technology mm. to their advantage. So why wouldn't you, especially if you are the king and queen, uh, and and this this girl is soon going to be well, way sooner than they thought, but eventually will become queen. Mm -hmm. Why not embrace that? And it's the it's not like she has um super strength and she's like a, a kill. She's not a killing machine. These are good. These are good powers. You live in you live in a cold place. Like ice powers are are perfect for you. It's not like you live in like um the Sahara Desert where like ice would just melt in a in a second. You know you you ah, crazy, and uh, I think that's why Elsa has become so popular because she's so empathetic and like it's so easy mm -hmm. to sympathize or it's so easy to empathize and sympathize with her because you know everyone can kind of relate to struggling with something. Um, and the, the, her reaction her whole life has been, you know, conceal, don't feel, um, don't let it show. Uh, and then obviously that's, you know, it gives, let it go so much weight and so much power when she mm. finally, uh, embraces it in herself. But even when she does that, she's decided to live like completely isolated and completely alone for the rest of her life, away from her sister and away from everyone, because she thinks that's the only thing that will keep everyone safe because she views herself as, as a monster that's, that's capable mm -hmm. of, it's a threat. that's only capable of like destroying the world because of what her parents have done. Um, and if, and if her, if her parents just like taught her or just embraced who she was instead of mm. shaming her and shunning her for who she is. It, this would be a very different, uh, potentially less interesting, but a very, um, probably a movie that wouldn't have existed at all. Um, but mm. you could find something. There's, there's something in this world that you could have easily done to still have a, a fascinating story. Um, I don't think that it was a bad decision, by the way, to make the parents this way. I think it makes it more interesting. Um, but I really can't say enough about how the, how evil they are, and they are so <laughs> much more villainous than the actual. Uh, quote unquote villain in this movie. Mm, it's not mm -hmm. even close. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm with you on that. This the true villain of this piece without question is these terrible Mama parents. and Papa Frozen. I don't know what they're last Yeah. Name. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly I feel I I know that Frozen 2 is not as good as Frozen. It's very pretty, but I feel like this sort of new revelation about the parents is now really going to ruin Frozen 2 for me because it's going to be like, I don't want these people to be redeemed. I don't want them to have a lovely backstory. They don't deserve this. But yeah, it do it does feel like backpedaling. You're right. So that'll be interesting to get into when we get to Frozen 2. Um, but should we should we get into talking about 
um i guess some specifics about the animation and things that we we really really like about this and i i want to spend a bit of time talking about the the let it go sequence because i think there's so much good stuff in that and it's the film is beautiful up to up to that point after that point including that point but that i think is the moment for me where it just the film really takes my breath away the construction of that castle is one of the best things i've seen in a disney film i think it's so beautifully designed um they do some really great things as well that uh, that are i mean particularly significant given what we've just been talking about the um the way elsa sort of like throws her cloak off and her cloak is purple which is the royal color so very significant that she is sort of like casting off that identity she creates herself a new identity in her fabulous uh much purchased by many a child uh dress and adult <laughs> um so many people yeah <laughs> with it and it looks gorgeous as well like i, I shout out to the costume in this because i think it is it's absolutely flawless in speaking of frozen actually in for the film they actually hired um like a specific costume designer obviously they mm, don't you know they shows. won't make the costumes themselves <laughs> but they were um instrumental in kind of making very specific costumes for, for all the characters and, and this was a film that was very serious about costume design and it obviously mm-hmm. um both figuratively and literally paid off because those costumes yeah. have i wonder if the costume designer made any sort of co- i hope that they had the foresight to be like i will take like 0.1 percent of frozen merch sales yeah, please because they will be, <laughs> that's all they need to be unbelievably wealthy yeah that that blue sequin dress is so is so beautiful and just all of the all of the outfits in this and you get a real sense of the the textures of the clothes as well and yeah the, the, things te- the that technology are... is insane like the fur mm-hmm. the the silk yeah. it's just it's remarkable the glitter it's mm-hmm. just it's incredible yeah actually <laughs> bringing back the parents the bit where their sort of um portrait is like cloaked in this like almost like sheer black material i was like that material looks real you cannot tell me that someone animated that piece of material that is a real dang piece of material that they have just put over this Mm -hmm. thing because you you just get a sense of like it's it's such a tactile film the sort that you feel like you could reach out and touch the things and they would be real and to create that in animation i think i will never not be blown away by animation particularly when it looks as amazing as this film does i i cannot praise the way it looks enough and there are there are moments i think where it is you can tell that make you know i don't say corners were cut but the the sort of the, the big crowd scenes after elsa's coronation there's the sort of like the scenes where the, the you know they're dancing or whatever and those people in the crowd, they're all wearing like the same gown, pretty much, just sort of like yeah. slightly different cuts. Uh, they're all they're all in either like green, pink, purple, or blue. Um, there is not much sort of design that has gone into those to those background characters. But if that was the corner that was cut to then make the rest of it look as good as it does, then I'm not mad at it. To be no, honest, it's... me me neither. And it's it's partially like to do that, and it's partially because you don't you don't want to draw attention to the background. You you want your eyes mm. to still be on um on an Elsa and the Duke of Wesselton, uh and and Hans and <laughs> and whoever um and it, and it works for that reason. But you're right. I mean that's I think that's where. That's the only like if we're gonna really try and find something to poke at, it's it would be the the like crowd characters, um. Mm. But 
That's that's pretty good. I think if you make a, a massive animated film and really the only thing visually that people can complain about is the some of the crowd members, I think you've done a, mm. a bang-up job. Um, yeah. Speaking of Let It Go, I think my only problem with Let It Go, I think it is the I think it's the best thing in the movie, first of all. Um, and I think it's the best sequence in the film. My my problem is that nothing that comes after it is anything close to as good as it. Um, and I think it comes to, I think the problem is that it comes it comes way too early. Yeah, um, I does. think if you kind of cut from Elsa running on the ice or running on the water, turning into ice away, and then go into Anna's kind of like quest to find her, and then maybe like shortly before they come across her, you have let it go. Um, so mm-hmm. at that point, you're probably like halfway through the movie, and then like maybe a few minutes later, they arrive at this castle that Elsa's built. Because it's not like after she builds it, it's not like she fills it with stuff. It's still an empty castle. So like she could literally mm-hmm. build that a minute or two before they arrive, and it wouldn't make any actual difference also with the way films are cut and everything it doesn't necessarily imply that they found it the second it was built um maybe in fact that after it's built they could like see um like a a nice castle appear or something and then later they they find or something but it just feels it just feels too early like this is the big moment um i think the only there's a couple other moments that look well actually it all looks amazing um when the like soldiers or whatever storm her ice castle that sequence is unbelievably Mm. good you wouldn't really expect like intense action sequences in in a movie that's about the love of sisters um but it's incredibly well done and again another application of why they should have let elsa embrace her powers because she could run a military down she would be (laughs) so good and no one would want to mess with her Uh, and people would respect her they wouldn't be scared of her i don't think if if Mm -hmm. people especially back in the day where like kings and queens kind of ruled everything like if a king if, if the law of the land is you will embrace this person the, obviously there'll be people who dissent but for the most part people are going to do it it's the same with laws these days like most people mm-hmm. follow the laws. some people obviously don't but generally speaking people follow the laws to uphold society or what we perceive to be society so if they just said like this is a great thing it's going to help us and as arendelle succeed which it would who wouldn't be who would be mad at that who'd be like oh no we're the strongest country in the world oh oh no it's not a bad thing no one would be upset about that when they live there um Mm -hmm. just another reason to to hate the parents but that you know that moment (laughs) where like the 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 ice chandelier comes down is is incredible when she's kind of fighting them and and pushing one off the like off the cliff Mm -hmm. and um has the other one like all like with the ice the icicles and stuff trapped against the wall was amazing um and then of course the end where anna is is frozen and she looks incredibly frozen um she already looked great even better frozen who knew um but when you know they melt anna and everything comes back it's also really really beautiful but i don't think anything has the emotional power of let it go Mm. so to have it like in the first i think it's like the 20 25 minutes in it it already happens and then there's so i always think it's like it it just it just belongs at the exact halfway point of this movie and i just feel like it comes too early um which again kind of probably is a result of of the fact that they really didn't have time to figure this out you know it takes mm-hmm. so long to animate this and so long to write and so long to create all of these things especially with a crew of 600 650 people um you don't have time to spend months talking about where let it go should go um mm-hmm. so it you know it is where it is and, 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 and it still works it's still a very effective um mm-hmm. scene but i think it does kind of throw off the pacing of the rest of it which we've already kind of talked about thanks to um Oh, excuse me, fixer upper. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know that nothing that comes after that point is gonna is gonna be better yeah. in terms of songs, in terms of 
animation anything else i mean i i i will just mention the that sort of scene towards the end where there's like this real blizzard raging as it's sort of like building up to the climax of the film mm-hmm. and then when anna is frozen and everything just or even just prior to that i think when everything is just sort of like <laughs> frozen uh, <laughs> or yeah. like suspended motion where like the snowflakes stop falling mm-hmm. and everything is just like still and silent and almost entirely like white or gray and just really bleak looking i think that looks absolutely incredible it's so effectively done and it it makes that really emotional moment of the film resonate even more i think because there isn't the sort of if the storm was still raging in the background you wouldn't get that like eerie sense of quiet that you get when the sort of like the the breath leaves her body and you see it happen as well i i think that that's a really really great moment as well but yeah i even just just push back let it go by like 15 minutes or something just yeah. have like um because what comes right after that is it on her at the at the sauna open training post yeah thing? it's her like you know setting things up and then she goes with chris she finds Kristoff, and then they go together and then you cut back to like hans giving blankets out to everyone so evil yeah um and like helping out while she's gone <laughs> Um, yeah. and then eventually they make their way. They, 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 there's a whole thing with the wolves. Um, mm. like all that stuff I believe is before, um, they get to the castle or her new ice castle. Yeah. Um, I could wait, all of, I could all wait of that, 15 minutes. Yeah. You can just have, <laughs> let it go right after that. All that stuff is, all that stuff that's there is good. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first half of this movie is, is really, really well paced and really strong. I think it, it, it the ending is also um resonant and 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 really powerful as well it's just the there's like 20 30 minutes in between kind of from from the moment they leave her castle to anna getting frozen is all kind of mm. you could do without it um yeah it's, it, it yeah. isn't bad like i don't think there's anything in this that's like would make you like like ugh kind of thing it, like nothing mm. is nothing is offensively awful well fixer upper um but <laughs> Not, or or Olaf as a character, um, but generally speaking, like this, you know, there's not. It works really well. I I really enjoy Frozen, and Frozen is mm-hmm. is a very mm-hmm. easy watch for me because it just flows so nicely. At least most of it does. Um, it's just it's just a shame that it, it struggles from from real pacing issues when so many Disney films um recently have been incredibly well paced, mm-hmm. and there's kind of other problems that may or may not plague them. But like Winnie the Pooh is is as perfect pacing. Um, Princess and the Frog does, Tangle does, Tangle. like all of these are, you know, really kind of expertly made, but they also had a lot more time. Um, mm. So it's not surprising that it struggles from those things. Uh, it's still really well written. It's very funny um, very mm. often. It's very emotional very often. It, it it does a really good job hitting all of those moments. I'd imagine there are many people who cry at the end of this movie um, and probably throughout the movie. Um, it's, it's very well done. Uh, we're just, mm. you know, our job here is to uh, really see what makes the film tick, and that's going to involve... Um, I mean, how boring would it be to listen to a podcast where all we talk about is how nice something is? Who who wants mm. that? That's boring. Yeah. We, and it's not like we're just trying to pick stuff, but it's, it's you know, it's stuff that comes out as, as people who watch... Gazil- I'm just imagining the Frozen army, like, ganging up on us. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's, 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 our, it's our duty to, to uh, really to, to do these films justice, and I think the best mm. way to love something is to critique it. Um, yeah. 
So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing it, and there's nothing you can do about it, Frozen. Huh? No, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we do we do love this film. It is still like very very high in in my Disney films. I think it's I think it just about breaks the top twenty, but I had it like in my top ten before, so it has. It has slipped down, but it is Oof. still very, very good. But um, did we? Should we talk about the villain? Because I know you've got thoughts. Um, yeah. But I, I will start by sort of. I mean, I don't want to give like a spoiler alert. Everyone has seen Frozen, presumably. But um, this again is another uh twist with the villain. Do you know what? It wasn't until you pointed it out in the Wreck It Ralph episode, I think, that I realized like every villain, Everyone. pretty much where that. Where there is a villain, yeah, in this batch of films, there is a there is a twist. So when you know that as well, even though I have seen this film many times before, you're looking out for all of those things, like those little breadcrumbs that are left, like you you know and now expect there to be a twist. The film, whatever comes after after Raya, I'm gonna be expecting there to be a twist with the villain because that's what Disney are giving to us at the moment, and I would really like to have something different with the villains that's not to say there aren't good villains in this batch of disney films i think there are and i i think that before i i let you drag this villain for the things that you don't like i i did want to say what a a a huge deal it is i think to have the prince be the villain um a huge a huge deal for disney in terms of subverting our expectations because We've had 75 plus years, 53 films. Um, Obviously not all of them have prince and princesses, but every single other princess film up to this point, we are led to believe that the handsome prince is always inherently good and true love's kiss saves the day. And these are the people to to be trusted. And, and we get a lot of the sort of familiar tropes with, with Prince Hans in that, uh, him and Anna have this sort of real rushed relationship. I mean, it is joked about throughout in terms of, you know, you can't marry a man you just met. Um, and every other character sees the ridiculousness of <laughs> of this situation in that, you know, he proposes after they've known each other for like maybe an hour. But this happens in all of the other princess films pretty much. I mean, like Snow White barely talks to that prince and then, you know, Kiss wakes her up and presumably she actually, they get married. She actually Cinderella. never. She never actually speaks. They interact, but she never. They she literally yeah. never talks to him. He talks to her. She just runs away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> At Cinderella yeah, and as well. Like that was seen as an improvement because they literally dance and like say two yeah. things to each other. It's it's Sleeping wild. Beauty. <laughs> I mean, there's a that we could go on and on about sort of uh, Disney improved on that and gave our sort of romantic uh, couple more chances to interact and we saw a really good example in entangled obviously yeah. eugene wasn't a, a prince but we saw a sort of like slow developing of a relationship over time and the same with tiana and naveen and prince princess and the frog as well um so we sort of get what we think is this very kind of classic disney relationship um anna has thanks to her terrible parents, also lived a very sheltered life. It's not just Elsa who has been locked away. I mean, they barely open the doors of their their castle. That's why the coronation is such a big deal, because she's going to get to meet other people and interact with other people and new people. And, and she's very excited by that. So they have the kind of 
typical meet cute as well that that we would expect it's quite funny their first meeting they sing a lovely duet together so we everything everything is leading us to believe that prince hans is good and i do think that the twist in this case is effective i, I don't totally think agree. he's a, i don't think he's a great a great villain and we're going to we're going to get into that but i think in terms of like does this twist work yes it absolutely does because everything that we've known to be true about Disney princess and prince films is sort of like flipped on its head. So it is shocking when it happens for the first time. And one of my many cinema watches, I had like a really great experience of, I don't like people being audible in films, but I had someone in one of the screenings being like, <gasps> like fully, like almost like falling out of their chair. They were so shocked by what they were seeing. Yeah. Um, so it does work. It absolutely does work. And the subversion, I think, is one of the most effective things about Frozen generally. But uh, tell us tell us what you really think about so Prince Hans. It's, it's not that I think Hans is um, a bad character or anything. Mm-hmm. It's more that I wish that they took more time, and I guess they didn't have it. Um, but I wish they kind of took more time to to, to develop Hans more, because I sure. I really do feel that like fundamentally he's not especially bad. Um, mm-hmm. This is a person who is thirteenth in line to his own throne, and honestly, when he explains his reasonings, <laughs> I'm like, okay, like yes, obviously from Anna's perspective, it is horrible. There's no, I'm not debating that. I mean, he's gonna go out and like kill both, essentially like kill Elsa. So this is all over. I I get that that is bad, but Hans is also first off. Every time you see him, he's a perfect angel. Like he's literally. Why would the villain? It the twist is so effective, almost because it makes no sense. <laughs> because <laughs> and it does work. It is shocking, and you do not see it coming. And yeah. it does a really fun, clever thing, which is twisting that like you were talking about that kind of relationship between prince and princess on its head which i really appreciate um and i love that it eventually becomes you know the true love is not from them but in fact from sisters i think it's brilliant i really do but the thing here is why would a villain who takes over the kingdom be so nice to everyone Hmm. and like he's like fully like you never see him there's not even the the only kind of like warning signs that he might be bad are when everyone is like what do you mean you're gonna marry him you literally just met him and there's something there, and I get that, and that part is good. Um, because it also kind of turns ahead on like Snow White and Cinderella and the mm-hmm. ones who like had four four to three four to five seconds max with their prospective <laughs> husbands. Um But I just I just feel like something is missing there because I don't think he's that evil and I don't think um like back you know, if if everything is all about consolidating power and like finding trade partners and whatever, what he does makes perfect sense. Um, so I'm not saying I'm Team Hans, um, but I just don't think, I just wish they had more, um, if anything, he's just kind of someone who takes advantage of Anna because he sees, he's the only one who seems to see how lonely she is, and she is desperately lonely, and that's kind of what, um, for the first time in forever is all about, like, this poor, um, bubbly, extroverted person has been locked away by her evil parents, um, because her sister has her sister is capable of impressive things basically um and (laughs) basically like the parents are scared of talented women um which is why presumably they're killed (laughs) off and righteously so um (laughs) bold bold takes here on the on the disney pod um but i i guess my issue is 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 that 
it's just it's just not there for me. Like it's just mm. the the twist feels more like a twist for twist's sake. Um, mm-hmm. and it does work, and it and it is in that moment. It's very and the way it's delivered is really good. Um, Santino um, Fontana, who um, I it blew my mind when he found, when I found out it was Greg from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Same, like, literally my favorite television show of all time. Um, and I, Barry, I was truly I found floored. out yesterday. I found <laughs> well, out. I was gonna yesterday. ask you today. <laughs> <laughs> I was when I was watching it. The like the I think it was when the like the name came up in the credits because I made Martin watch the whole of the credits because there's a there's a post credit scene. And yep. the name came up, and I was like, "I've seen that name before. I've definitely seen that name before." And I I rewatched Crazy Ex Girlfriend like super recently, and I was like, "I think he's in Crazy Ex Girlfriend." Then I looked up his face, and I was like, "It's Greg." I know, <laughs> a, a true a true shock to the system when I found that out. But he he is really good in this. Um, and his his song with with Anna, the harmonies are really beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. and they sound great together. And he's he's a fun character. I just. I'm not. I'm not sure what my exact issue. I guess I kind of explained it, but I just. I just feel like it's. It's not. It's just kind of like he's there because they wanted a twist at the end. Like th- mm-hmm. there's not enough to him that makes him really feel evil. Like I feel like what he is doing makes sense in the situation they're in. Like this is a man who has come in. He is gonna marry Anna. Maybe he would like her, but then all of a sudden. But but really, what he wants is is to rule a kingdom. Fair enough. A lot of people want that. Um, and then Elsa has frozen everything. And from, from Hans's perspective, all he's seen is Elsa basically killed Anna. Okay. From his perspective, she has frozen everything. Like the whole community is really struggling because it's, it's, everything is completely frozen, like way, way colder than it has ever been before. And it's getting progressively colder as time is going on. Um, and Anna returns being like, I need a true love kiss or I'm literally going to die. And maybe he just doesn't love her yet. So he, so he's like going to take this moment then. And he's going to be like, fine, let's turn this around. You're going to die. So that's easy. I'll wipe out Elsa. Easy enough. And then I'll rule this kingdom. Yeah, it's bad. But it's just, it just feels like a, a late addition. You know, it feels like, and, and this was a thing that they, he wasn't in the early drafts of Frozen. Um, he was kind of, he was a late addition. And, it, and, and to me, it feels like that, which I think is the problem. I hope that makes sense. Because I know there were a lot of ideas in, in what I was saying. <laughs> Yeah, I I I get what you're saying and I think to make a comparison with what we were talking about last week and actually the the main problem we had with with King Candy is that there are sort of like hints even more so with King Candy than there is with with Hans that that he is um a bit mm-hmm. malicious has perhaps ulterior motives and that sort of thing but prior to the point of the like the quote big reveal He's quite weak source, and I think Hans is is a bit that as well. Like he doesn't, he is up to that point quite nice, which I think makes that twist very very effective in terms of when it is delivered. You do not see it coming, but when obviously I know that twist is coming now. I've seen this film many times, and you watch it now, and you sort of like you see you see those little things, and as you're trying to piece it together whilst you're watching the film, it it starts to make less and less sense and this film it's not even really it's not even really about the the villain i guess there needed to be some kind of credible threat to sort of counterbalance the the idea that the people in the film have which is that elsa is the threat so there needs to be then this the you know the real threat that comes in makes themselves known at the end um so that the sisters can can sort of between them have this heroic moment obviously anna goes to sacrifice herself for elsa and elsa um you know 
brings everything back by realizing that love is love is the key and the sort of the yeah. the other side of her powers is is unlocked as it were also but, can i just yeah. say how convenient it is that they're standing on a ship when she does that because I, I don't think it's very clear at all that they're standing on a ship. No, it's I, not. I, so yeah. I was like, oh, wow, they're going to go straight underwater, but they just so happen to be on a ship. Sorry, continue your point. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> ship just rises out of the yeah. ice very conveniently. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's... We, we're told sort of like enough about Hans for it to not be completely outrageous that he ends up sort of being being the villain or having these ulterior motives, but it it does happen very very late into it and and with a a lot of stuff up to that point that is not really about him so then when it sort of is revealed that he's he's the villain the film has to do quite a lot of work very very quickly to make him evil um i will say though that the when he delivers the 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 line to arno where he's like oh if only there was somebody who loves you like every Brutal. time it gets me so, i'm just like oh so good Oof. It's so really, good. it's really, really, really tremendous good. delivery and, and great writing. Mm-hmm. I think the other Absolutely. thing is, you know, I, I was saying that like when Anna gives him the authority to take over, which is insane, um, there must be an advisor or something there. But anyway, she gives him the authority, and then I think it would it would be more interesting if maybe he just wasn't the fact that he's so nice and that we see we don't need to see anything. I think the fact that it, it includes a scene where like he's giving out blankets and like ensuring everyone is okay. It very much gives a suggestion that if he did take over, he would do a great job. Mm. So, <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like, if if we see nothing, and when they get back there, things seem a bit off. I think when that yeah. twist comes, I think it would still work, and I think it would be scarier because the implication is that, like, not only will these beloved people die, but everyone else who lives in Arendelle will suffer as a result. But honestly, mm. it it seems like if those two die, Arendelle will continue to be fine. Is the impression I get from the the scene we see where he's like really doing a good job ensuring that everyone is safe and comfortable. So, you know what I mean? Like, don't show the villain as someone who would do a really great job leading Arendelle <laughs> if he succeeds. Um, because the thing, you know, when you see Scar and how he's taken over in The Lion King, you see that it's a terrible thing and it's completely destroyed everything, which makes him scarier and makes him more effective. Um, and I guess I just I just thought maybe it's it's picking a bit too much, but it's just like if you show him doing a great job, then I'm not going to feel mm. like he's very scary at all. And again, I mean this is literally yeah. what I what I do for a living, so forgive me for diving in too much. But it's just like you know <laughs> if you see someone do great things and be a good leader, then it's a lot mm. less than the the proposition of him taking over is not scary. It's like okay, that's mm. cool. You he do yeah. a good job. The 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 killing thing is 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 different, obviously, but you know. Yeah, I think actually, like, as you were talking there, the, the the thing that sort of struck me is, I guess, he is really only a threat to Anna and Elsa. He's yeah. not really a threat to the people of Arendelle. So, yes, we we buy it and we sort of very quickly believe him to be the villain because he is threatening to kill or, you know, or trying to hurt the protagonist. So, yes, we know he is the villain. He is the bad guy. He does a, a bad thing by sort of leaving Anna to die and then lying to everyone saying they've got married and he's in charge but he yeah you know, like you said he he is he's nice to everyone else so we have to sort of like we really have to buy into him being evil very very quickly because mm. everything else we've seen about him up to that point is leading us to believe he's nice which i i guess has to be there in order for that twist to work but yeah i yeah i i sort of go back and forth between i think 
I just think the twist is so effective that it sort of the, masks the twist, like the so twist many is like the twist in his line yeah. delivery of like someone who like does like no one loving her is is ten out of ten. It's it's beautiful. Mm. Chef's kiss, et cetera, et cetera, whatever whatever <laughs> um hyperbole you want to throw onto it, it works because it is genuinely yeah. the first time you watch this it is very shocking. I remember being mm-hmm. floored and everyone else yeah. around me being floored. No one was like, oh, saw that coming, and and it did work very very well. Um, yeah. The only other thing that annoys me even more are the like other people like who are there. I don't. It's not very clear whether they've all come from different countries and they're all just really concerned about Arendelle because they're stuck there, or if like they're in like advisors or something. It's it's not clear. The mm-hmm. only one that we know for sure is the Duke of Wesselton, and the other ones are kind of just there. Is my understanding. Yeah. These people are very very stupid. Um, and uh, number one, he's like Anna is dead. No one even thinks to check on the body, mm. which is alive, because they know what room she, they, they just, they were all just in the room she appeared, and they know exactly where she is. No one, no one thinks to go check. No one go thinks to, like, deal with the body. They're just like, oh, yes, we implicitly trust you. You are now, like, the king and ruler of Arendelle. Yeah. What? It's... <laughs> and then, at the end, there's like that satisfying bit for us and Anna when and everyone else on the ship when Anna punches him and he falls off the boat. But then it cuts to this group of people who just made him king and were just like, you are amazing and the leader, all cheering at him being mm-hmm. punched off the ship. They have seen nothing. They did not. Yeah. They, they were in a blizzard. They did not see or hear anything that was going on. They have no idea that Hans is anything but a lovely man who is just trying to save Arendelle. Why on earth? This is the biggest plot hole in the movie that drives me <laughs> up the wall. Does, like, out of my mind, why are they cheering? Why are they like, I... this is amazing, yay! Like, how do you know? <laughs> so it's not super clear, but, like, the, you know the bit where, like, the snowflakes, like, stop falling and, like, the really dramatic moment? I yeah. always feel like that's happening really, really far away, but then, like you said, the boat does just then appear. We see those sort of like dignitaries and and whatever like on the balcony, and they're sort of looking on like shocked. So presumably they have seen Hans like with the sword about to go and kill Elsa or something. But there, I think there's still some holes there because they but, at that point still believe Elsa to be. Yeah, evil. they're also risen like forty feet in the air by this ship. So presumably they were forty, however many feet a ship is below so there's no way i don't care if it's clear as day there's no way from there you could see clearly what they're doing until the ship comes up but i i appreciate you trying to help my trauma because i was so like furious at this i was like this makes no sense um yeah i i guess to summarize super quickly i just wish they did more with hans to make him more complex um because to me he's like someone that really understands Anna and just takes advantage mm-hmm. of that because he wants power mm-hmm. which which yeah sure that's bad but he just doesn't he the the twist again monumental really really effective and a genuinely mm-hmm. big surprise but like the rest of it just doesn't work for me very much I still think yeah. um the vocal performance is, is <laughs> tremendous though I think they do he does the best he can with that character I just wish that some of it seems like all of the complexity in this movie went to Elsa and I just wish they spread it around mm-hmm. a bit Mm. yeah i i yeah i I agree i should we get it i think we need to as you've mentioned elsa i think we need to talk about our our lovely queer queen elsa um Mm. (laughs) and the very Mm. obvious coding that this um that this film gives us um so i will i will let you sort of speak on this and then i then i can uh chip in as well but yeah the the film sort of leaves us little hints 
perhaps about um, Elsa's sexuality. It never sort of really explicitly says anything or doesn't say anything. So it does sort of like leave that question there. And then this sort of became a thing quite a bit more wind after the film um, as people started to look into it a bit more. But yeah, perhaps you can you can tell us a bit about that. There was quite a major campaign, um, hashtag get Elsa a girlfriend or give Elsa a girlfriend. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about too because we are recording in June. This will be released in June. This is um, Pride Month, as you will. Um, so why not talk about Disney robbing yet another uh, queer <laughs> character of their identity? So, I mean, Elsa isn't necessarily a, a lesbian, but the from my all I can say, all I can really give you is my personal interpretation of this is that her whole um conceal don't feel like don't let them know who you are um is a pretty clear link to being closeted um Mm -hmm. whether she's asexual transgendered gay uh, bisexual whatever um i could not tell you um none of my business don't care i don't don't care but she's just clearly different from everyone else and i think they i mean they use the magic as as the metaphor but like everything she is saying um is the same kind of thing that you know, closeted people around the world experience that, like, fear that they'll be rejected, um, that concern that people won't accept them for who they are. Um, and it seems pretty clear. I mean, she has less than zero interest in, in you know, Anna's the one who's, like, boy crazy, and the only thing Elsa mm. cares about is not letting people know who she is. Mm. <laughs> um, and she's not, you know, she's not, um, in, she's, she, at, at no point does she even comment on any man there. Or any even any person there um, as a potential partner. There's no whispers of her finding um, a king as she's about to be queen. You know that th- that doesn't. There's no um, there's no implication at all um, that she is straight in any way, shape, or form, or has any romantic interest in men of any kind. That that much is is clear from the film. That that is explicit in the movie. Um, Disney does have a history of not letting characters be very anything, but what we, but um, but what is uh, and I use air quotes here, traditional, um, and they've done it. In, in fact, quite recently, excuse me, um, they um tweeted, you know, this like rainbow picture because it's Pride Month of like Minnie and Mickey and all them, uh, and then the creator of Gravity Falls, which was which was a Disney show, basically, you know, called mm-hmm. them out and says like, look, like I wasn't able to make the characters queer that I wanted to because you wouldn't let me and you guys, you know, aggressively um, re-edit your movies for markets where it's less um, chic or less friendly to, um, it's, you know, where it's not legal to be um, queer of any kind. Um, and and when, I, when I use queer, it's, it's more of an umbrella term for the, for the non-straight experience, if you will. Um, but there are various definitions of queer. Um, so, you know, Disney Disney has done this before. They're going to keep doing it. They continue to do it. Um, so whether the intention um, for the creators of Frozen was to make um, Elsa a lesbian and, and they just said no is probably something that we won't find out for many more decades until none of these people work at Disney anymore um, if they so choose to divulge that information because Disney likes to keep everything under wraps. But this is a company that will regularly... Um, nowadays, uh, be like the first gay character in Disney history. They've done that like 15 times now. They just, they literally just did it with Cruella, even though that character literally never says that they're gay at all. Um, but I mean, they're coded <laughs> to be like in queer coding is, is a long-term ex- uh, existence in, in literature and film and whatever, where basically a character, um, 
has all the characteristics, well, not characteristics, but all the um, suggestion that they're they're at the very least different uh, because they weren't allowed to be to be gay um, because it wouldn't sell or it just wasn't allowed and to be published or it was against laws in the country, whatever. Um, there are various reasons. So this is it's just frustrating because it's just another. This film would have done just fine if it wasn't released in a couple of countries. Um, and if a couple of countries didn't want to have it, that's, that shouldn't be Disney then turning around being like, well, let's not release it then. Uh, and it's the same thing they do, you know, when they did the live action Beauty and the Beast. They just cut the, like, one-tenth of a second of gayness in that film out when it was released in, in countries where it wasn't, uh, where it's not allowed or not legal or whatever. Um, and they'll continue to do that because... They really fundamentally don't care. Um, and when I say Disney doesn't care, I don't mean the people at Disney don't care. I'm sure there's plenty. I would be astonished if Disney wasn't literally overloaded with gay men because it's, it's art. <laughs> um, and, and they are there and they're in Pixar and whatever. And, and there are gay people and queer people and trans people and, and whatever. Anyone under that umbrella are, are, are at Disney. Like they're at every company in the world. Maybe shocking for some um, ignorant people out there, but we're everywhere. Get over it. Uh, we're, we're not going anywhere. They continue to create us. Um, but it's it's frustrating because the the corporate policy has no real interest, and this is a whole other thing that we this has nothing really to do with Frozen, but this whole kind of co-opting of of the idea of of pride for the pure intentions of selling merchandise, which Disney absolutely does, and they don't back it up. The problem is they're not backing it up with any actual genuine representation that they continually. It's not like they're obligated to, but they continually continually promise it and then do not deliver it or make it like mm -hmm. so subtle that you can know it can just be very easily, effortlessly, without any real difficulty cut out for more to make it more palatable in other countries. And I'm over it personally. I know a lot of people are. And it's 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 frustrating to see them um, kind of come out with this, this rainbow merchandise um, mm -hmm. when they couldn't care less. Yeah, I I have not that went a, that went a time. bit away from Elsa. Um, apologies. No, that's okay. No, <laughs> no, no. It, no. It, it's, I couldn't it's... help it. It's June, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's so important and it's so worth saying. And I've I've not got really much else to add add to that. But um, I will say obviously we we had a conversation off mic before we started recording, um, about uh sort of representation or lack of in Disney films. And you <laughs> sent me a link that was both like hilarious and horrifying about all the times disney had been like the first whatever in one of their films like ranked from like most to least embarrassing or something like that <laughs> um, because they're all like half a second or mm -hmm. like no one ever actually says or shows that they are it's just suggested to be which we had in like yeah. the 30s so i think we can move past from that yeah exactly and and it's either like really really sort of like quick background things that could very easily be cut like you said where they're the sort of less palatable in those particular countries um or it is mentioned but never explicitly seen uh we've had a number of characters sort of refer to you know female characters refer to to their wife or um there was in avengers endgame as well a character at the beginning who sort of talked about um a date he had been on like with another man and that character doesn't even get given a name so that conversation would mean a lot more if it was one of like the main that one by the way members. is number one on the list in that article. yeah um yeah no, <laughs> it's, it, and in fact sorry because i just want to mention that yeah. there is one in frozen as well um mm. there is the wandering i believe it's wandering oaken's trading post in sauna the guy in there <laughs> i mean he's a sauna in the middle of nowhere i mean come on um but he he you know he has his trading post and then he says his family's in the sauna and it cuts to the family and it's like four kids wrapped in towels and then a man 
mm-hmm. um, and they're all like, hello. And that's, that's you know, it's, it's almost a full second. I'm sure it was either animated to be a very clear woman or edited out mm-hmm. completely in other countries. I haven't seen the other versions. I don't care to. Um, but it's just like that's, you know, they'll continuously um, promote this idea that they're huge fans of inclusivity and diversity and then never uh, deliver it. Or when mm-hmm. they deliver it, it's like the tiniest little cookie crumb that when I watch Beauty and the Beast and see LeFou dance in the live action, dance with a man for like a fraction of a second, I'm like emotionally overwhelmed. And I really don't care for that because it's just <laughs> so manipulative and it, they're truly yeah. um, doing the least. Um, mm-hmm. Doing the least, mm-hmm. exploiting the most, doing the least. Yeah, this this is going to come up again in, in Frozen 2 because they... I won't spoil it, but they sort of they begin to lead you down the path of it being a possibility before snatching it away from us <laughs> in a in a very cruel way. So yeah. the the way they sort of you know code this character, I, I guess, to to be seen in this particular way, and all of those things you talked about in terms of um, her her powers and her her magic being um, being locked away and concealed and everything else is. Um, experience that a, a lot of queer people have had and actually one of the uh, things I was reading about this is that the sort of the strongest argument in terms of Elsa's identity is that she is asexual because she has no sort of real interest ever in relationships point blank period whether that's that sexual romantic or anything else there it's she's she's so over it that even when Anna is sort of like talking about like wanting to be with with Hans and everything obviously it's it's done in quite a jokey manner where she's all like you know you can't marry a man you just met and all the rest of it but she really just has no interest in in sort of a relationship at all and with with this film as well being uh sort of done in like in a in a way that is structured and song-wise sort of very much like a Broadway musical, you would expect, or or is normally the sort of thing is done in is that the the other character, the other female character, is given a relationship as as well, and it's it's slightly different. It's more, I don't know, lighthearted perhaps because obviously Anna has this um the sort of the darker relationship or what ends up being that way with with Hans anyway, sort of betraying her. Um, but the film gives Elsa nothing and I'm glad that it doesn't because I think if it had shoehorned in a relationship for Elsa that would have been even worse um More I, I yeah it's yeah just... I like the openness of it but it's yeah, yeah it's it, that's it, it that to me just makes it seem even more obvious and and let it go is sort of seen as like a bit of a, a bit of an anthem now for people showing their true selves letting go of those feelings and fears that have held them back in in the past as well um, and I can see that. I can see why that would be a particularly powerful message to people that related to Elsa's experience, whatever that is, and whatever mm-hmm. the you know the film isn't telling us these things, but these are the things that we can glean from it. Absolutely. Mm. Alrighty, shall sorry, I'm just getting conscious of time, but shall we talk yeah, let's, let's very go on quickly a <laughs> about? <laughs> yeah, we got deep for for a second there. Um, we'll talk about who who we stand and this. I want to say say slim pickings because there's a lot of characters in this film, but not many that really uh, capture capture my heart in the way that only uh, a character that we stand should and could. Um, So for me, this was very, very easy. But yes, 
Um, yes. Me too. I just want to. I want to shout out an honorable mention first because I, I also agree. Um, it is the Duke of Wesselton. Um, <laughs> it's particularly him dancing. Um, Love that guy. It's it's Alan Alan Tudyk again. Um, and he he has a he dancing and he's like I I am as a, as agile as a peacock. Um, which I appreciate, <laughs> and I, I, I loved that. Um, but you're right, there aren't really many prominent characters in this movie, and the ones that are prominent, or the, the characters that people know, are kind of the biggest ones. So mm-hmm. this one is kind of one of the biggest, um, but I don't care, he's great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, in this house, we stand Sven, the lovely reindeer, um, who doesn't say a word, but is very expressive. Um, I guess does talk through Kristoff, uh, who sort of like gives him yeah, a voice kinda. when when he sings. Um, and to, I, I think my favorite Sven moment comes like right at the end, which is when Anna uh, gifts this new um, like sleigh to Kristoff. And Sven is there and he's got this little medal on and he is just like strutting towards this thing, looking so pleased with himself. And I just think it's so wonderfully animated that that sort of lovely little character moment. Um, Sven is great. I, for me, is the real comic relief in this film. I know that um, we've really not talked about Olaf, but well, he's not a very popular character for us. So I, I think the thing about Olaf is that he's he may be better saved for frozen 2 to talk more about yes because i think they do point. more with him in frozen 2 but for frozen for this frozen he mm. exists entirely for comic relief and like there's almost nothing else entirely. that he offers <laughs> um but yeah i don't particularly care for him in this movie i actually like him almost like him i think in the second one i've only seen it once so when mm, we get there I'll, I'll, I'll have a think about it but <laughs> they do more with him i think his song is better in the second one because it actually kind of has something to do with what's going on um yeah. but his in, in summer is fun the josh gad does a good job i mean the vocal performance is, is really good um and gives this character a very distinct personality and he is extremely popular unbelievably mm-hmm. like one of the most um, easily the most popular like non-main character of this decade um, and it I don't think it's close I mean he's extreme for for Disney anyway not like every character in anything although even if you included all films he's probably still up there like this is he's he's kind of become for better or worse a cultural icon um, so we so he wasn't even an option to pick he's like in a way like as big as Elsa is in this movie um, in terms of like after um, film popu- post film popularity, um, but Sven is just I think Sven is funnier because I think it's it's trying, it's not trying as hard. It's just it just feels more natural <laughs> than like Olaf yeah. feels like like they were like we need a character to have jokes. We need jokes, Gags. jokes, jokes, nothing else. <laughs> um, and and Sven is just kind of n- more naturally funny, um, and mm. I really appreciate him. He's also incredibly cute and very lovely mm-hmm. to look at. Um, and he's yep. he's a he's a happy chonky boy, and I love I, I'm a big Sven <laughs> fan. Yeah, I I agree with with all of that, and I think that I see a pattern emerging in in the characters that we stand. That when there is like a a silent animal sidekick type character, uh, we will usually pick them as as yeah, our and also structurally, <laughs> he's not that far off from a horse, so it was yes, it was bound exactly. to happen really. <laughs> There is there is a horse who does have a good mo like Hans's horse who sort of like uh accidentally like kicks them into the water or whatever it is with the with yeah. the boat. But I was close. I was like, Oh, is he the one? But then he yeah. like never appears. <laughs> he appears for like one more second after that and that's it. 
Yeah, exactly. And doesn't sort of have the the, the gravitas that, say, a, a Maximus or a, another very, very good horse has in a previous film. So yeah, Sven is the, the obvious pick, I think, for this one, but is a, a lovely Agreed. character. Um, just to mention before um, we wrap things up is um, there is uh, a couple of Easter eggs. So the I guess the most notable one and one that sort of led to this whole like fan theory about how these films might be connected um, is we get a Rapunzel and Eugene appearance um, in for the first time in forever, sort of as Anna is walking out of the castle and, and all the people are walking in. Um, we see the two of them. Rapunzel has got her her new short brown hairdo, um, and Eugene is there as well. She's she's wearing the purple dress, so it's it's very obviously her. Um, and another little nod to Tangled as well, which I think we mentioned on that um, episode was the painting, um, which is called the Swing, which sort of influenced the um, the art, art style, style Tangled, of yeah. Tangled. Um, we see that painting and, and Anna sort of inter interacts with that in a in a really fun way. So um a couple of nice little touches there. Was was there anything else that you spotted? I mean there's the usual like hidden Mickeys and, and all the rest of it, but Yeah, I don't think that's I mean that's the the, the painting is the only one that I, I wanted to make sure. And then obviously um mm. Rapunzel and, and Eugene being there because that did start like a really big unnecessarily but fun intricate fan theory that like all of the disney films are connected in one way or another and i mean it doesn't yeah. help you know these people's theories are going to grow if you keep including them in movies so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wonder what that person did when they saw ralph breaks the internet i think they probably just broke in half like <laughs> <laughs> they imploded they just completely they just became pixelated and just like joined the world of television and film yeah forever and they're stuck there um they glitched <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, because that's that's gonna that's gonna be wild. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think I think maybe if you've listened to this and like they've barely spoken about Anna and Elsa in detail, that's probably because we know there's another. Um, instead of giving you like a three hour podcast now, we can kind of split it between <laughs> this and Frozen Two, and the characters aren't that different still. Yeah. So they're all basically the same. So we'll we'll probably dive into more because I think Frozen Two kind of there's a lot more we can talk about in terms of like who they are as characters. So we mm. will we will be doing that. Um but we wanted to kind of keep it as specific as we could to this Frozen film and try and think of it in the context that the second one doesn't quite exist um, mm. at this point. Um, yeah. Frozen is, um, to me, kind of always been like in the middle of the, in the Disney canon. Um, I think it mm. has some of the best songs um, and I think it has some of the best characters um, and it's one of the best looking um, but I think it's let down by, um, well, we've talked about it in depth already, but but um, uh, kind of lacking in, the, the stakes honestly don't feel very high in general. Um, mm, like, mm -hmm. it's cold. As a Canadian, maybe I just can't find that that threatening. Um, <laughs> You're like, it's fine. <laughs> like, just like, where is that cold? <laughs> they're basing it on Norway. Like, Norway gets really cold. Surely you have the facilities to deal with cold. Um, obviously, it's summertime and it wasn't supposed to get that cold yet, but, uh, you know, I digress. Um, the stakes are a bit lacking, um, but it has a really beautiful message at its core. And I'm so thrilled that it's, it's a... Um, a story really at the core about female friendship because we've kind of pointed out when it's happened and really the only one um one of the first examples was was pocahontas and that was 1995 mm. that was only uh well actually 18 years before this which is crazy to think that there's so much time in between um but until then you know there were like kind of like 60 almost 60 full years of disney filmmaking before they even explored genuine female friendships which is crazy mm. um mm -hmm. <laughs> but now we've gotten to the point where there's a whole film that's about 
women and, and their relationships with each other, and it's ended up being the most successful film. Thinking about, it's kind of fun to think of it in context of, we've talked a lot about in the history bits, of you know trying to rebrand some films and like not mm. push it too far as like a girl's film because boys won't want to go out. well if no boy saw this who cares because it still made 1.3 billion dollars <laughs> this is very very true indeed um it's got really all the elements that you you would want and need in a disney film which i think is why it was so successful and why it remains so successful as well but in addition to it being sort of quite a, a you know a classic princess tale it does do some very different things which i think is what i really liked and appreciated about it when i first saw it and this idea of um the act of true love being the sacrificial act between between sisters and the way it sort of ridicules a lot of those like old disney tropes that we've that we've seen Mm. over the years i think is just something that does set it apart from from the others and it's it's I, I didn't expect this to sort of like fall like so far in my rankings. That makes it seem like it's gone from like one to 50 or something. It's not, but it has like dropped down by maybe seven or eight places. Um, And in my first list, which is insane now that I look at it, I have Frozen 2 above Frozen. I think that was recency bias, like when I first put it together, because that was at the time the maybe, most recent Maybe one. you'll watch Frozen 2 again. You'll be like, this is the one. Who knows? I don't know. I the whole parents thing has has thrown me on that. So we'll <laughs> so see. <sorry. laughs> we'll see when we get to that. I regret um, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to very very quickly take us through the the four themes before we uh before we get on out of here? Absolutely. We've got we've got them all. Frozen ticks in tradition sense ticks every box. Uh, sidekicks. We've <laughs> well, we just spoke about Olaf and he's the the truest sidekick and we also have Sven who's the other truest sidekick although um Olaf is very much like Anna's sidekick while um mm-hmm. Sven mm-hmm. is kind of Kristoff's but they all are kind of function as a whole unit um Man and Nature you bet this whole film this is Man and Nature the only film that's more Man and Nature is Frozen two um which <laughs> I'll I'll save it for that because that that whole film is literally Man and Nature um there's even a whole song about it um absence of a parent uh yeah they're dead and honestly good riddance and i stand by it i have no regrets um they they are there in the beginning and honestly it's not really a plot point once they die it's not like them you know a lot of the films where there's an apparent absent they're at least kind of referenced again but they're kind of dropped like a fly and they they're never no one cares about them anymore um and then disney death uh you bet oh sarah is it here um it's yet another a big one a huge one and we have this is this is the beginning of a streak. I don't think it's a very long streak. I think it's only like one more for sure after this, and then it's questionable. Um, but it's absolutely <laughs> here. This is not the only Frozen film with a Disney death. Spoiler alert. Um, but it's a really, really good one. It's it's very mm-hmm. kind of classic Disney death. A lot of tears, a lot of emotions, a lot of drama, and then like a last second glow, just like Entangled, um, where the character <laughs> is saved and the revelations happen, and it's quite lovely. So all four mm-hmm. themes of our um of our disney watch are here in full force Love they absolutely it. are <laughs> they are present and correct uh in uh in all their glory uh for sure the i did wonder like when we would get the, the sort of first like really like memorable disney death again and it's it's boy is it here and they really they let that moment linger as well like yeah in a very effective way you've got all the characters stood around looking sad it's all the things we know and love in a in a Disney death. And just to mention one another really great experience I had watching this film, um, of the many times that I saw it at the cinema, which I have mentioned uh, was a lot, 
um <laughs> this one kid at that moment just like yelled out in the cinema i was like she's dead <laughs> which was very very funny and is uh, something that i will remember <laughs> seeing this film and actually um, in, in fact anna gets basically it's two disney deaths because there's that whole moment mm. where like hans announces her dead and you think she's dead and then you realize she's not so that one's like yeah. kind of so she's she gets the um she's legendary because she gets at least <laughs> at least like one and a half um potentially another one to come in the next film who could say mm-hmm. who could say indeed um yeah uh we'll 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 have even more frozen goodness for your ears very very soon so we will we will head on out of here now um because it's really only a few films time until we get to talk about frozen again Crazy. so um, the, the the end is in sight everyone it truly is, yeah. What do we what do we do with our lives after that? We'll uh we'll see. Um but, <laughs> but <laughs> cry, sit in a dark room somewhere. Um yes, okay. Uh before we get out of here, we of course want to say a huge thank you to our Patreons. Um and they are Chris Wilson, Enon Films, Zoe Baines, Daryl Griffiths, Sam Luck, Orla Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Andy Meekin, Fabiana Rosas, Hamish Calvert. Martin Richmond, Manuel Bento, Robert Denny, and Javier Loring. Um, so a huge thank you to those guys for their support, to all our other Patreons as well. If you would like to become a Patreon, you can do that on Jump Cut's website. Um, and there you can find uh, all the different uh, tiers that you can give at. Um, and uh, the perks that you get as well. I lost my train of thought there. Very sorry about that. Um, so uh, thank you, Barry, once again uh, for, for being with me for another magical slice of Disney. Um, do you want to let the good people know where they can find you on uh, Twitter and elsewhere? Sure thing. You can find me on Twitter at blevitt93 and you can find me on Letterboxd at blevitt. And Sarah, it was a pleasure once again. And I look forward to... <laughs> Well, not that many more because there aren't that many more, but many more. <laughs> <laughs> many more, uh, yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Sarah Buttery, and you can find all of us at Jumpcast underscore. You can check out all of our written reviews, features, interviews, news, and more at jumpcutonline.co.uk and go straight to jumpcutonline.co.uk forward slash jumpcast to find out where you can find all of our podcast episodes. And we will be back with a brand new Disney episode next Friday. We'll see you then. Thank you.